0: Well, good morning. How we doing this morning, church? We good? All right, pretty good. There's like one guy right here who's really good. I uh, love that. But hey, welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us today. I want to welcome all of you who are tuning in with us at Bearden, at our Bearden location. Man, you picked a great Sunday to be here. If you don't know me, my name is Landon. I'm one of the pastors here. I oversee our guest experience and our communications as a church. And so really excited to be here. Always, always thankful for Pastor Trent for giving me an opportunity to speak to you all and and, and, and to just share what, what I believe the Lord's doing in in our church and also in my heart as well. And so last week, we, or a few weeks ago, we began a brand new series called Messy. And so this this is all about this messy church in ancient Greece called Corinth. And so there's a man named Paul and he writes a letter. He actually writes several letters to to them, uh, but we're in his first letter that he writes to them just kind of correcting them, encouraging them because they were a messy, messy church. And you're gonna see over the next few weeks as we kind of get into all the things that they were struggling with and all the things that they were dealing with, just how messy it was. And so last week, as Pastor Greg shared, what a great message about uh, just about all of our wisdom coming from Christ and Him crucified, but he really talked about this theme of wisdom And so today I'm going to continue on that theme of wisdom because in the third chapter that Paul writes, he actually continues on wisdom today. So today's message really is all about this one word. It is, it's wisdom. And so when you think about the word wisdom, okay, I want everybody to have a little activity. Okay. All right. A little bit of engagement here. So when you think about the word wisdom, I want everybody to think in their mind, what is one word that comes to your mind? Okay. All right. Give you three seconds. All right. Everybody think. Here we go. All right. Got it. Put it in your mind. I'm gonna bet with just I'd put you know everything on the line today that this did not pop into your mind. TikTok. <laughs> right. Okay, like I said, I oversee communications here at our church, and, and so I, I, I know TikTok, I, 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 I'm on it. And, and so, but I bet you, when you think wisdom, you don't think TikTok, Right? No, no, no. Now, if you don't know what TikTok is, all right, it's basically a video app on your phone that is gonna send you videos over and over. And so the algorithm is going to show you videos that it thinks that you would like. So at first it's just funny videos and and different things that make you laugh, but then the app kind of gets to know you. And so if, if you watch a video about cooking, it's gonna start sending you videos about cooking. If you really love lawn care and you watch a video about tips and tricks on how to edge your lawn, it's gonna send you more, uh, send you more videos on, on that. Or if you are big into working out, it's gonna send you diets and proteins and, and different exercises you can do. If you're into grilling, it's gonna send you all the new Traeger or Blackstone or all the different recipes that you can do because it knows you. It gives you content that you that it thinks that you would like. And here's the deal, because it kind of gets to know what you like, you actually can kind of learn a lot from it. And and so I I don't know, there's kind of like this this, uh, craze or trend right now of like dads on TikTok, okay? Because dads are like learning how to edge their lawn and do all the different recipes and and, and they can learn, you can actually learn a lot through it. So there was this youth pastor once and he was talking uh, about, uh, because, you know, TikTok, if like any social media, you can get into some pretty inappropriate stuff pretty quickly. And uh, I read a story about a youth pastor on social media uh, where he was telling his students and he gets up in front of the students and he says, guys, you, you gotta stay off of TikTok. And there's, there's definitely a lot of wisdom in that, you know, teenage parents. Uh, but he says, guys, you gotta stay off of TikTok. He's like, I have a TikTok. He's like, all it is is, is bathing suits and, and inappropriate content for you. Stay off of TikTok. And one student raises his hand. He says, pastor, that's an algorithm. Meaning it sends him what he likes, all right? Kind of caught the youth pastor right there on that one, didn't he? <laughs> See, I, I actually love using because it gives me ideas. It gives me life hacks. It helps me how to do stuff. So I brought a new grill this week. And and now I I got a bunch of new recipes and we're going to Florida here in a few weeks on our vacation. And now I'm getting like different suggestions about where we should stop on our way down. And it's kind of creepy, right? Little big brothery, little, you know, little George Orwell stuff going on here. Uh, But this app is actually really valuable to me because anything that can help me hack my life or anything that can help me be more productive or anything that can get me uh, help me get more out of a product or help me get more out of a trip, I want that. See, I'm a very like goal-oriented, highly like, driven, achievement-minded individual. If you if you do the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram three, so I'm very achievement-minded. And so if there's wisdom out there that can help me build bigger or, or be better or become greater at what I do at my job or what I do in my life, I want that wisdom and I'll, I'll go wherever it takes to, to get it. And I think a lot of us would agree that we probably want more wisdom in areas of our life. Here's why. Because our, lo- our world really loves the idea of getting wisdom. So why do you think podcasts are so popular where they're just listening to people interview people. Think about like the Joe Rogan experience. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands if you listen to it, but why is that so popular in our world? Because he brings people on who supposedly have wisdom and you just listen to them talk. I'm not suggesting you should listen to it because you can get a lot of unwise ideas as well, but people eat it up. Why do you think millennials crave mentorship? In, in their jobs and their careers, because young people know that in order to, to have a successful career, you need wisdom, you need mentorship. Why do you think Pinterest DIY pins are so Popular because people want wisdom on how to do the next house project. Why do you think modern philosophers like Jordan Peterson and Cornel West are our mainstream today, people who just usually lived in universities, we're listening to them. We're seeing them on social media because our world is so crazy and people want wisdom on how to decipher and how to live in this crazy world. I mean, why do you think how-to videos are so popular on YouTube? Because people want wisdom on how to be more productive or how to win a game or how to do anything. People love wisdom because people know that if they want to build bigger, if they want to be better, if they want to become greater, they need the wisdom that is out there. It's a key. And in fact, there's entire sectors of the market that are all about adding value to your life, or in other words, giving you wisdom. See, here's the deal. Our world loves wisdom. So why aren't we wise yet? I mean th- think about that for a moment. We love it. We we repost it. We we eat it up. We go to universities for it. We listen to hours and hours of audio on it. So why aren't we wise yet? Because no matter how much Joe Rogan or Tucker Carlson or Oprah Winfrey or Jordan Peterson or Dr. Phil we listen to, read, or watch, it doesn't seem to me like the world is getting any wiser. Does it? I bet if I was to ask you, what's the one word you think of our world today, you wouldn't say wise. So we have all this wisdom, yet we still go to war. We have all the wisdom to solve hunger and homelessness, yet baby formula runs out. We have wisdom on how to deal with anxiety and depression and mental illness, yet terrible tragedies still happen. We have decades of encyclopedias in one single, hey Siri. And we have universities of courses available at a click of a button on our phone. More than wisdom than we could ever imagine, but we're still not wise. So so maybe, just maybe, and here's where I'm kind of going with my message today is maybe our idea of wisdom isn't a wise idea. In fact, I think that true wisdom might be opposite than a lot of what we're downloading into our lives. So I think we can actually find that wisdom in an ancient letter that Paul wrote that I alluded to earlier. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3 or or pull that up on your Bible app or follow along with us on the notes on our FC app. If you didn't know, we have an app as a church that you can follow along the notes every single Sunday. All right, so I encourage you to download that, get the FC app and follow along today. We'll also have the scripture today on the screen. So Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. So when we think about Corinth, there's some really key context details I want us to to remember today, all right? So the Greeks, they were known for their wisdom. And so Athens is the birthplace of democracy. So when we think about what our nation was built on, really the, the thought behind that was birthed in Greece, in Athens, democracy. So we have all the the, the greatest philosophers of the world. We have Plato, we have Aristotle, all from ancient Greece. So if there was one culture that was built around the idea of wisdom, it was Greece. So Corinth is an ancient Greek city. It's now under Roman rule. The Greeks are gone, the Romans are in power. And it was once this rich city that was famed for the export of bronze. And so though the Greeks did not rule the city anymore, their culture, their wisdom, their sexual ethic ruled and was very alive today. So people in Corinth, much like today in our context, they they valued social status. They valued their sexual identity and sexuality. They valued philosophy and wisdom. And all of that was achieved in their culture through the worship of their gods and through the worship of their false deities. And so archaeologically, what we know about Corinth is that as as you walk around and if you were to see, you know, what had been built centuries ago, you would see that there were all kinds of different sacred and monumental sites to like the god Asclepius, the false god Asclepius, who was all about healing, or there was the temple for Jupiter, or, or there was up on this hill, the temple to the goddess Aphrodite. Now, Aphrodite is where we get the word aphrodisiac. It was a god of sexuality. It was a god of fertility. And so up on this mount, it was called the Acrocorinth. It was not a very high mountain, but it was extremely steep. And so this is a rendering what it might have looked like in ancient Corinth. And so up on top of ancient Corinth's Acrocorinth was a temple to the goddess Aphrodite. Now, when the Greeks were in power, the temple of Aphrodite was a very perverse place. It was extremely perverse. There would be temple prostitutes who, who would be there and you would go and take service with them in order for you to have fertility, in order for you to experience success. It was a very perverse sexual ethic that Corinth had had. Now, scholars debate whether that continued into Paul's day, but a lot of people think that it did. But what we do know is people would come to Corinth, they would come for healing, they would come from wisdom, they would come for fertility and philosophy. So this was a society surrounded by the wisdom of this age. And Paul is writing to Christians in that culture. He's writing to Christians in that culture and that culture is actually starting to infiltrate the church and things are beginning to get a little messy. So he wants to talk to them about wisdom. And here's what he says in verse 18, which is where we'll begin today. He says this to them. He says, let no one deceive himself. Now I wanna stop right there. And you may be thinking, Pastor Landon, you've read five words. Am I even gonna get to lunch today? Well, jury's still out on that. Uh, but let no one deceive himself because Paul, he, he clearly states his goal here. He states his goal that, hey hey, those of you at the church in Corinth, I don't want you to be deceived. And guess what? The greatest threat to your deception is you. Pretty good words for us as well today. He says, "Let no one deceive himself. If any one of you, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise." So, what Paul is doing here is he's using a literary feature. He's contrasting the Greco-Roman wisdom versus the wisdom of God. So we have these two kind of opposing so-called wisdoms here, the Greco-Roman, Hellenistic world. We also have the Roman, or we also have God's wisdom. And he's saying that the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of Corinth is in direct conflict with the wisdom of God. Thus walking in God's wisdom will make you look foolish in the eyes of the Greeks. So think about the wisdom of God in comparison. Sexuality between one man and one woman, not with Aphrodite's servants, foolish. No multiple gods and goddesses, but one God who needs nothing from us, foolish. Caesar, not the highest king, foolish. But he doesn't back down. In fact, he doubles down in verse 19 when he says this. He says, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God, The wisdom of this world is folly with God. Now, folly simply means to lack good sense or to be foolish. So do you see what's happening here? On one hand, to be wise in this age, you're a fool to God, but to be wise with God, you're a fool to those around you. And he goes on here and he says, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So his warning is clear to his friends in Corinth. He says that it is our pursuit of the world's wisdom that promises to make us great, which is actually the very thing that will lead you to your downfall. And so as he says this next phrase here in in, in parentheses, he says, or uh, in quotes, he says, he catches the wise in their craftiness. So this is a a verse from the Old Testament book of Job. And it's a theme that is repeated all throughout the scripture. And we see throughout the scripture a host of examples of the wisdom and the power of God up against the wisdom and the power of this age. For example, the wise people in Noah's day thought Noah was foolish for building an ark. The wise people of Baal thought Eliza was foolish when he threw water on the altar that was supposed to be on fire. The wise Pharaoh of Egypt thought Moses was a dead man as he walked to the Red Sea, cornered by the Egyptians. The wise Paul thought Stephen was a madman as he stood there and had him killed. The wise Judas thought Jesus was just another rabbi as he kissed his cheek. But God was catching the wise in their own craftiness. Their thoughts, their schemes, their next big idea, their desire to pragmatically take care of business was the very wisdom that led them to destruction. And the wisdom of God stands in direct contrast to the wisdom of this world, which is why Paul challenges them by saying in this verse, he says this, so let no one boast in men. And the understood context here is let no one boast in the wisdom of men the wisdom of this age. He says, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. Now you may not know who Apollos and Cephas or Paul. I encourage you to get online and go back and listen to week one. As we kind of jumped in that, as Pastor Trent explained that kind of thing going on here, but basically what was happening is people were saying, I follow this guy, I follow this guy, I follow this pastor and his words. And, and Paul is just saying, listen, we don't boast in men because anything that comes from Paul or anything that comes from Apollos or anything that comes from Cephas or Peter, anything good is the wisdom of God. So let no one boast in the wisdom of men no matter how foolish it looks, follow the wisdom of God. So Paul is just to summarize what we read here. In summary, he is saying that Paul wants us to build our life on God's wisdom, no matter how foolish it may look. Now let's talk about this word foolish for a moment, because here's what I know about you and me. I bet there's no one in the room who's like, man, I love to look like a fool. I love to just everybody to think that I'm some young foolish, inexperienced, all those words that we kind of equate with foolishness. Nobody wants to be a fool, especially us men in the room, right? Us men in the room, we we wanna be seen as respected. We wanna be seen as as dignified. We don't wanna be seen as foolish. Now, I bet if I were to ask you some stories of some times that you've looked like a fool, I bet you probably could could give me some embarrassing stories. I know I have, and I know you guys probably don't wanna hear one, right? You know, or anything like that, right? No, you wouldn't wanna do that. Uh, Well, I'll give you one anyways, because I don't like looking like a fool. Uh, You know, there was, one time I was uh, driving, I had a brand new truck and I was trying to drive my truck and park the truck for the first time. And I got my truck stuck in a tight parking spot. And I had to have a 60 year old woman on crutches help me back out of the truck, (laughs) help me back out of the tight spot. Well, the time me and my friends, we were, we were going to, uh, I just got married and me and my friend Danny, we were driving down to Atlanta about two or three weeks and we were, were headed to the airport and driving on a trip. And, and I couldn't Figure out why people were honking at us the whole way and I realized that I still have just married on the back window. Um, you know, I don't like to look foolish. I do like a good laugh though. <laughs> um, but I can tell you something. Let me tell you something the Lord is working in my life, okay, and this is not something that, that's, that's done all the way. This is something that is a process and I think it's a process for a lot of us that, that the Lord's working in my life that I don't really care if you or my friends, or my parents think I'm a fool if Jesus thinks I'm wise. I'm not looking for likes, I'm not looking for follows, I'm not looking for pats on the back. I want my wife to love me and I want my my kids to be around me one day and, and I want my God to say good and faithful servant to me as I come to heaven. But this is the opposite of everything we learn from those who are wise in this age though we may not have the same gods and goddesses that they had in Corinth we definitely do worship some idols and in our culture the idol of being better and becoming greater and building bigger kind of goes like this it says be a wise student right build a bigger resume be better at your sport students become greater that's your craft. Be wise. Do whatever it takes to get there, to build bigger, be better, and become greater. Or it says, hey, families, the wisdom of this age, build bigger houses, build a bigger pool, build a bigger accounts, be a better family, have the nicer things, have the better stroller than those people next door, have the, the better whatever that is the new thing. You got to have that build bigger, be better, become greater, be a wise family or, or or be a wise leader in your job. You know, make sure you never show any vulnerability. Make sure you never have take any risk. Make sure that you never have any relationship with your employees or ever talk about the Lord or talk about God. You need to build a bigger company, build a bigger portfolio, become greater in your career, keep achieving, keep climbing the ladder, be a wise leader or, or, or maybe it's just be a wise man, be a wise woman and, and you do all the things that the world says in order to be wise that X, Y, and Z, you gotta do to make sure that you have no risk in your life, you're dignified, you're respected, you're untouchable. Be wise, wise, as Paul would say. But this is the opposite, because here's what I bet. I bet that there are some men and women in this room who could say, I spent my whole life building. I spent my whole life building bigger and being better and becoming greater. And in the end, when the phone rang and the news came from the doctor or when the recession hit or after my kids walked away from the Lord after I thought I did everything right, it didn't even matter. I got all the wisdom, I collected it all, but in the end, it didn't add up. And here's why, and Paul actually talks about this, you know, a couple of verses before. He says it in First Corinthians 12, he says this. He said, now, if anyone builds on the foundation, he's talking about the foundation of the gospel, with gold or with silver or with precious stones or wood or straw, Each one's work will become manifest. You'll see what was really there. For the day will disclose it. He's talking about when Christ comes back, when the end times happen, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So he's saying you can build your life with all this different wisdom and you can, you can throw a little stone, you can throw a little gold, you can grow a little, throw a little silver, and he's using that to represent what would be solid, biblical, godly wisdom. He's saying you can build your life on that. And that could be great. And then you can add some of the world's wisdom in with hay and with straw and with wood. And when the fires of life come, and, and they will, or when when Jesus comes back and he takes us all home and he judges every one of us, then we're gonna be able to see when that fire comes what was stone and what was hay. What was God's wisdom and what was the wisdom of this world? And he's saying, build your foundation wisely or build your your house wisely, because if you build it on the woods of life or the hay or the straw, it'll ultimately all be burned up. Here's what this looks like practically. When I was a sophomore in high school, I gave my life to Jesus. And this was my Bible I had as a teenager. This is my Bible I have as a teenager. And so as you kind of, Got kind of a thumb through it here. I got some old sermon notes from Grace Baptist Church, where I grew up going to church. I got some, some this is actually, uh, I got some messages written down that as Pastor Trent, he was my youth pastor, that I, I still even have notes of them to this day. In the front of my Bible here, I actually have my wife's phone number, who I, who I asked out in eighth grade, and uh, I, 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 I didn't really have a phone then, so I was like, yeah, I'll we'll get your number, but I don't have anything to put it down on. So I just wrote it down in my Bible, uh, it's right there. There's also some other girls' phone numbers in here, you know. Uh, you could say I had a pattern, um, was just building my testimony, if you will. Um, but but I, I have this Bible, and when I, when I first gave my life to Jesus, as you can go through here, you can see that almost, there's like every other verse in the New Testament was highlighted. I began to read this wisdom of God, and it all made sense to me for the first time. I love the Lord. I cared about the Lord. I want to build my life on His wisdom, and many of us are like that, Right? You know, we we got the gospel, we got Jesus when we were a kid or when we were younger or maybe you just did and and you kind of add the wisdom of the Lord to your table of your life and the table of your mind. And then as you kind of go on and your career advances, you get older, you begin to not just look for, you begin to look for other ways to be wise in your life. And so so maybe you you just kind of start adding, you know, some of these these great books, like this is an awesome book, it's called Good to Great. I mean, who doesn't wanna go good to great in in their life and make their their life move out of mediocrity and and make it great? So you kind of add that wisdom to your life or or you wanna get better in your leadership. So you read books like How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is a, a classic book and so you add that wisdom to your life and, and then you just kind of start adding others. You want, you want your habits to be better in your life so you read another great book which is about power of habits or maybe you wanna be a better man so this is a book I found that's on John Wayne and essential skills for every man. I don't know my, why my wife told me I needed to have that for Father's Day but um, you know you, you add the Enneagram because you wanna learn more about your personality or you, you, wanna add, you wanna make your marriage wiser or you wanna learn how to take control of your mental health and so modern psychotherapy or, or you just want to you want to get healthier, so you add some little essential oil wisdom in there, right? You know, uh, you know, you're like, why are you making fun of essential oils? Because it's an easy target, all right. <laughs> uh. And so you just keep adding all of this wisdom to your life. You want to get more money. So you 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 read books like Rich Dad Poor Dad on your money. And you kind of start adding all this different wisdom. And, and that's great. And I, I'm not saying any of these things are bad. But I'm just saying that when your time comes, it doesn't matter if you did what was in this book. It matters if you did what was in this book. See... When Jesus comes back, I don't wanna be known as wise. I wanna be known as a fool who was faithful. That's what I wanna be known as. See, you can listen to your podcasts, you can read your books, you can get your degrees, you can network, you can climb the ladder, you can achieve your goals, you can fund your dream, and all those things are great things, and I hope you do them, but in the end, one book matters. I love how Spurgeon writes it. He says that we should visit many good books, but live in the Bible. See, this is what we call the authority of Scripture. That we as Christians, the one thing that makes us different than the rest of the world, yet we're all made by God, we're all created with a purpose, but the one thing that separates us from the rest of the world is that we are under the authority of the Bible. And the Bible as our authority is one of the few foundational and essential beliefs that we hold to as a church that we really do believe that this is the word of God. We really do believe that when he speaks through his word that we're called to listen. We don't have to question what God's will is for our life. It's right here. We don't have to look for what God wants for our kids. It's right here. Whatever you want covered, the Holy Spirit has covered it from cover to cover. See, this is what God has intended for us to build our wisdom on. And when God says it, we listen. So here's my bottom line. And it's, it's a little bit cheesy, but you're gonna remember it. Truly wise men know that foolishness is the way to go. See, when we're following God's word, we may look foolish, but that is wisdom. And it's okay if we look foolish if we're faithful. See. Building bigger, being better, and becoming greater is not the wisdom of that book. But truly wise men know that walking in foolishness is the way to go. But we like to be buttoned up. We like to be distinguished. We like to be professional. I love how John Piper, Dr. John Piper puts it. He says that the mentality of the professional is not the mentality of the prophet. It is not the mentality of the slave of Christ professionalism has nothing to do with the essence and the heart of Christian ministry. The more professional we long to be, the more spiritual death we leave in our wake. For there is no professional childlikeness. There is no professional tenderheartedness. And there is no professional panting after God see, you and I have to be more concerned with our hunger for God than our reputation with this world. And yes, there may be ridicule. And yes, people may not understand. And yes, people may question your motives. And yes, even the wisest people of this world may call you a fool. But truly wise men know that foolishness is the only way we have to go as Christians. I love how Jim Elliott, who gave his life one of the most popular Christian quotes of all time, who gave his life with arrows in his back on the beaches of Ecuador sharing the gospel. He says this, it's profound. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I wanna encourage you to be willing to lose the things that you cannot keep when your time comes. I wanna encourage you to be a foolish student. Come on, students in the room college students, high school students, middle school students. I want to I I challenge you to look foolish. Look different. Be different. Swim against the current. Believe what the Bible says. I want to I challenge you families. Be a foolish family who doesn't worship the God of Little League, who doesn't bow down at schedules and birthday parties you've got to be at every single weekend. I want to challenge you to be foolish. Be a foolish leader in your in your job who who leverages his business to share Christ with others. Be a foolish man, be a foolish woman, be a foolish FC partner who says, I'm not just gonna show up and sit in the seats, I'm gonna get in the game. Today, you have a great opportunity to do that. You may think, well, my, my, my Sundays are precious. You know what's more precious? Is the kids over there in the other building. The kids who, who if, if they have you in their life, their whole life might be changed. And we're over here thinking, I, I do breakfast every week. Let's be foolish. Let's give up our time. Let's give up our energy. Let's serve. You can stop by the connection today and see Micah and her team and, and get jumping in. But we have to collectively realize today that if your life's goal is to build bigger, be better and become greater, you will never become like Jesus. There's an account of Louis XIV. I'm sure you guys know exactly who I'm talking about. I'm sure you read a lot of his books yesterday. Um, he went by Louis the Great. Uh, he went by, another name was uh, the Grand Monarch or the Sun King. And uh, for 72 years, he ruled France. He was actually the longest singular reigning king in all of modern Europe, And so when you think about the greatness of France, when you think about its culture, when you think about the, the, the art and the history of France, you probably are thinking about the things that King Louis XIV actually accomplished. He was the one who he unified religious factions. He actually turned France into the superpower of his time. But he was a jerk. Every account you read of King Louis, and and here's a great picture of King Louis, okay? You know, Shaka Khan up there. Um, He's got the long hair. He's got the flow. He was an arrogant man. He was a jerk. He was full of himself. He knew he was talented, and everybody around him knew it as well. He was once confronted about the state's power and and he just responded back and he said, I am the state. I mean, this was a guy you did not want to be friends with, but he was impressive. He was cocky and he was full of himself. And at his funeral, he laid in a coffin that was built with gold. And he had a list upon his death that he had written out that he wanted said about him when he died so that everybody could remember how great king louis was and at his funeral what he did is he wanted everybody to come into a dark room and there to be one candle lit in the room and and his gold coffin set at the front so the bishop maslin at the time he he was set to do the eulogy he was set to come up and speak and so the idea was that wherever the coffin was seen it would shimmer because of the one candle in the dark room. So everybody enters in to see this grand funeral and he enters in and Bishop Maslin gets up on stage and he walks up to the candle and he takes the stage and he licks his fingers and he goes up to the candle and in the dark, quiet room, he puts it out. And he says, only God is great. Only God is great. Only our savior is worthy. Only Jesus is wise, which means we don't have to be. I mean, think about the wisest man who ever lived. Think about him washing the feet of his disciples. He doesn't send his 12 interns to go get him coffee. He doesn't send his assistant to go get his new robe from the dry cleaners. He doesn't see them as pawns to be used to accomplish his strategic goals. He lovingly kneels before them, he removes their sandals, and he washes feet. The hands that form the universe now washing feet. He wasn't building bigger, he was serving lower. I mean, think about Jesus as he was teaching, little kids came up running to him. For many, this would have been an interruption, but not for Jesus. He doesn't call the babysitters to come get the kids out. He doesn't come look at his watch and see how many appointments he has coming up. He doesn't groan about how this opportunity isn't maximizing and optimizing his productivity. He plays with them. He wrestles with them. He's tender with them. He admires them. And he even compliments their faith. He wasn't trying to be the better young professional rabbi. He was living slower. Think about Jesus as his own friend Judas betrays him, as his brother Peter denies him, his brother in the faith Peter denies him, as the Romans mock him and gamble for his clothes, and he's beaten without ever saying a word, as he's publicly stripped naked and put on display for all to see Think about the foolishness of a king dying on a cross. He wasn't trying to become greater. He was dying faster so we could live. Jesus Christ, the foot washing, child loving, cross dying savior of the world. And I can promise you there's no politician, there's no pundit, there's no philosopher, there's no podcast that would tell you that death at 32 with such a promising career was the right way to go. But he served lower. He lived slower. He died faster. But his impact lasts longer. See, that is wisdom. It looked foolish to anybody who would have looked on the hill of Calvary. But wise men know, wise women know, wise families know, wise leaders, we know. The foolishness is the way to go. See, maybe today you need to just admit that the wisdom of God is not the wisdom that you're following today. And maybe I'm not just talking to people who, who are not Christians in the room, maybe we as believers, because I know this is where I'm at today, so we as believers need to say that we've allowed some of the world's wisdom to creep into the way that we make decisions, the way that we lead, the way that we love, and the way that we live our lives. And we just need to humbly come before the Lord and say, I'm repenting, I'm turning from that and I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to live for his wisdom, I'm going to follow. Or maybe today you've been looking for all the different ways to fix your life and you just need to humbly come before the Lord and get on your knees and say, God, I need your wisdom today. I'm at this crossroads in my life and I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do and and I'm, I'm hearing all these different voices but God, can I just hear your voice this morning? May we seem to admit today that our idea of wisdom hasn't really been a wise idea. And we just need to kneel before God this morning and repent of it and turn from it. So the invitation is simple today. What do you need to turn from? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to cast aside so that we can take on the wisdom of God? Here in just a moment, our, our band is gonna play and just allow you, give you a moment just to, to kneel before God. To come down here and maybe you, you literally kneel. It's just a sign of surrender. It's a sign that, that you are lower and God is higher, that his wisdom is higher than yours, that his ways are higher than yours, that you are his humble servant and you need his wisdom. And you need to repent of that. So what I'm gonna ask us to do right now is let's go into a moment of prayer. Let's go into a moment where we just come before the Lord. And maybe you just need to get up and come down right now and pray. And then our band is gonna close us in the time. Let's move, let's pray, let's repent and let's put our eyes on Jesus